Welcome to the Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington. And joining with, with our radio program are our three vicars, uh, Father Darren Connell, Vicar General and Rector of Our Lady of Lords Cathedral, Father Pat Kirst, Vicar for Priests and Pastor St. Thomas More, and Father Brian Mee, Vicar of Finance and the Pastor of St. Augustine's Parish. We're going to speak about, uh, this is, will be an ongoing series on the, um, on the Mass and I think with, with the Easter season that we have, uh, are in the midst of and the fire of Notre Dame that on Monday of Holy Week, which placed the church in circles uh, where maybe the Catholic Church isn't always well received. Um, and, you know, the purpose, people began to talk about how uh, important our churches are uh, in the worshiping community. And the time most of our Catholic faithful come to the church is for, for Mass. And so... We thought that we might uh, do a series on the, the parts of the Mass. There are, how many parts of the Mass, Father Kirst? <laughs> it depends on which math you use. With the new math, I usually just simplify things and make it two parts. But okay. uh, I could also argue for four Order or five. Three. Four, oh, okay, usually... Uh, how do you get five? I thought there were four. Coffee and donuts is not a part of the Mass. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, that's why when the personnel board meets shortly, uh, you'll have an additional part okay. to the Mass. Right. <laughs> Driving around. Um, four parts, usually, Father Me, is that true, historically, from your degree in intergalactic sacramental theology? Well, actually, uh, historically, there's two parts. The liturgy of? There's the um, liturgy of the Word and liturgy of the Eucharist, the whole introductory rites that we're going to spend some time talking on, didn't really exist in the early church. And probably the best example of that is a Good Friday liturgy where the priest comes in he prostrates, gets up, and introduces the readings right away, and then they begin with the readings. So in the ancient church, um, that's how it was. And then the introductory rites begin to develop and um, enter into the the liturgy at a later date. Didn't they <clears throat> develop the introductory rites in relationship to the the procession that you know when? The church uh, Christianity was legalized, and they took over the basilicas, and the sacristies were near the doors. They, they had to get from the sacristy to the altar, and and so I don't. My recollection is that, that certain traditions and practices grew up around around that, that kind of evolved into the introductory rites. Well, in Rome, uh, actually, you could have the rites in a different church. So the people would gather in one church, begin with prayers, and have processions. They loved Rome or processions in Rome and then enter into the church where the Eucharist, where the Mass was going to be celebrated. Um, so that in time was condensed down as well from the sacristy to the altar. When the, as you're saying, when the sacristy was closer to the entrance of uh, the basilica, uh, and then they processed to the altar. But later churches, of course, with the sacristy simply being next to the altar or to the sanctuary, um, the procession kind of fell out at that point. At the time of the, when, when would the Mass have begun with the, inter, uh, the penitential rite? Uh, when did that get introduced? Well, 
Me? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Why not you? None of us know. <laughs> well, part of that was, uh, the, part of the procession was penitential as well. Um, so when it, it depends, if you talk about the confidier, you know, that we, that didn't even come into the mass until, you know, the... Um, Council of Trent? No, no, it was, we had different forms of it in the 10th century. So that even parts of the confidier that we have today where you have... Um, we have the intercession of the Blessed Mother, but that doesn't come in until the Cistercians brought it in in the 11, uh, 1100s. And then it was with the Council of Ravenna in 1314 that other saints could be included, such as Michael, uh, John the Baptist, Peter and Paul, and now they've fallen out. So, I mean, the confidier, the, the penance rite has changed around a lot. And um, it, just for a listening audience, some may not know that the confidier uh, those probably not knowledgeable what might I confess to Almighty God that's one of the options um, from our parish there are opportunities that the celebrant the pre-celebrant has to do different uh, penitential rites is there one that you find uh, is particularly appropriate uh, that you use or do many of you or, or the vicars typically because of the choir and the curie uh, do the confidier well, I, I'm. Uh, you'll remember at the Chrism Mass we had that that uh, Kyrie, and I don't know what the setting is, but um, the choir sings Kyrie and we respond, and then the choir breaks off into that long extended um, polyphony of the Kyrie and the Christe and the Kyrie, which uh, I don't know if you guys like that. I loved it um, because it really gave people an opportunity to reflect on on one's sins, but also the, the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ, um, for an extended period of time. It took a little longer, but I thought it was beautiful, and and it was very nice. we did a couple different times uh, uh, during the um, the uh, trade one. Uh, I know myself. I try to mix mix the mix them around once in a while. So once in a while, I'll do the confiteor. Once sometimes the three part thing and the sung thing is we reserve that, especially in our parish during the Lenten season, and it's it's done very nicely, with, uh, led by our cantor and, and with congregational responses. And there's that other one that's in there. Is it still on the books? The Grant us your salvation, show us your mercy. And mm -hmm. I've never used that one in 29 years. Never Which used one's it. Well, it changed. It oh, is, yes, it, is it different now? I show us is. your mercy and grant us your salvation. So, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. But the Curie, it didn't enter into the um, Roman liturgy until the 5th century as well. So, um, Because it, it's Greek and they didn't like the Greeks. But. Well, actually, it, it has <laughs> pagan roots. It's Curialation was a turn to the sun. Oh. Say, Lord, have mercy, referring to the sun. So it had pagan oh. roots as well. So they were kind of strict about that in Rome initially, but um, it was in the Church of Jerusalem. It enters into Rome, but um, in the 5th century. There, when I, I know that uh, Father Chris said he was at uh, the Air Supply concert in Oklahoma City, but most people don't know that Father Me was at the uh, Jerry Lee Music Hall in Butte, Montana, and appearing <laughs> and was we sang the Curie called Mister Mister, which is from the '80s, has a song Curie. Yes, song, I recall, which is very unusual. I don't oh, know that's right. I remember that. That's why they're, they're yeah. Yeah. three weeks running at the Jerry Lee uh, Uncle Jerry Lee uh, Music Hall in Butte, Montana. But uh, what about the Son of the Cross? When did, was that always the way the Mass began? Um, I mean, people ask questions like that. I know sometimes when Bishop Archbishop Sarton, that's the Archbishop, our Metropolitan Father Connell, in Seattle, he were in gatherings, and some people do not begin prayer with the sign of the cross, which we find is is to be unusual because we should begin our prayers uh, as a gathering, but the mass. So, Father, me from your studies, 
was the sign of the cross which led into it? Would that what century do you? If well, not, just make it up. If you <laughs> as far as the Trinitarian formula of in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that didn't come in until the 11th century. Um, but you know, there's a couple things that just even before we uh, we get to the beginning of Mass, uh, you know, that people may wonder, well, why do the priests wear vestments? Uh, what does that mean? Where did that come from? So there's two things. We're um, as far as the priest vestment. I don't know if there's time to say it before the break or not. We have we have about a minute and a half. Okay, I'll say it quickly. Yeah. Well, that the priest vestments actually it, uh, those were just in the later part of the imperial Rome. Those were the the fine clothes or the special clothes people would wear for festival occasions. And so one of the so that was just simply the civilian clothing of the day. I mean, but again, very festive clothing. And um, in that as well was it was the idea that everyone was to be dressing up for this great festive liturgy. And of course, each thing the priest wore has meaning and purpose too. But I think just the initial thing of this is a, an occasion where not only the priest is to dress up, but all the laity dress up in their finest clothing, which is something I guess we could say we um, have kind of lost today. Yeah, it's one thing, to, I think, when you're in a resort community that people may be coming in uh, with shorts and uh, and flip-flops and things like that. But there is a sense of what is the... Uh, now, I would say this Easter, people generally were dressed up uh, at the cathedral. Um, well, of course. They, they, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't let, let yeah. them through the door. I mean, I know weren't. it's Spokane, and uh, the bolo Easy. tie is very popular. But um, <laughs> no, it was uh, so. I think that that people do ask about the best and the liturgical colors, which um, we could speak about a little later as we do this series uh, on the mass. Um, was the practicality the, the candles? I know we're getting ready for a break, but was that done purely for uh, light in the midst of dark areas, or was there the light of Christ? You can answer that when we get back from our break. Back to the Bishop and Vickers. We're speaking about the Mass. It's an ongoing series that we'll have on the parts of the Mass to help our Catholic faithful better understand the Eucharistic liturgy. And before the break, I asked a question about the significance of candles. Um, you know, sometimes there are candles that are actually beeswax. There are those that have the uh, jet fuel uh, in them. <laughs> um, others have the flickering lights. Uh, available for Electric, Bronco, yeah. uh, but uh, Father me from the significance, just to uh, answer from your uh, experience, both at Trent and um, and pre and pre Trent, pre there. Yeah. What are the significance of candles? Uh, practical or theological? Or both? Yes, both. Um, I suppose we look at it as as theological more as a symbol of Christ, uh, the light of the world. But a lot of the, especially in the liturgy, you have things entering in through. Uh, again, imperial Rome and, and what was done in civic life. So it used to be that the emperor would process with seven candles in front of him or torches and uh, a big uh, thurful of incense. 
so uh, so you had that some of that entering in so that initially with the candles uh, nothing could go on the altar except what was to be sacrificed so the candles were not put on the altar only later were they put on the altar which I suppose makes us think of it as being something that was utilitarian so that the priest could see the um, the missile but that wasn't the original purpose of it it was just uh, honorific in a way hmm. and it, <clears throat> it's interesting that when you have a a solemn celebration, uh, such as Easter or, or during the Easter season, uh, it's appropriate to um, take advantage of, of candles and incense and uh, those kinds of things in the entrance procession, going from the, the rear of the church to the to the altar. The incense, uh, obviously, or not maybe not obviously, but as a sign of our of our prayers rising to God and um, of our circling the altar with um, our prayers and our worship. Um, we at the cathedral have a, I don't know who, who got them, but uh, many years ago acquired a set of torches, six torches. And so for those more um, solemn celebrations such as Easter, we try to take advantage of that. The, the thoroughfare, the candles for the book and or cross, uh, the torches, and then of course all the ministers of the Mass. It's a sign of the church coming together uh, to worship. The incense, uh, I know that some people... When you go into a church, I know uh, Father Gary Thomas talked about when he was uh, working as a uh, as a funeral director, in, and he said he walked to this one church, St. Mary's Las Gatas, and he said it reminded him, he said, of a church he had grown up in, the smell of the incense and the, the wax burning. Um, and it was a church built in the early 60s, but he said just some churches just have that smell that brings you back uh, almost transcending time and place. The significance of incense, uh, where did that come from? Is that cut from the Roman tradition, from the, from the uh, way to honor at the time of uh, the Jewish tradition? What's, what's that uh, origin? Well, you find it in Leviticus where it says that the high priest is to use incense in offering sacrifice, and you find it in Revelations as well. But actually it wasn't used um, originally in the Roman liturgy because it was also used in pagan Rome. So incense was used to uh, burn incense to the gods. So they were somewhat wary of incense for until paganism kind of fell out of... Um, until it's, it's back somehow. It's a paganism, yeah. perhaps back. But so in other words, uh, in the 4th century in that they began to use incense. And incense was then even seen as... First of all, to be something protective and cleansing. So everything that was to be used in this holy sacrifice. So the altar was incensed and uh, the priest was incensed. And then in time, when you get into the Middle Ages, it's something honorific again too, where we begin to incense the Blessed Sacrament much more. Did you, uh, Father Colin, ever issue a pastoral letter about the clanging of the chain because I do that a lot I, I think I, uh, liturgists would argue that uh, uh, one of the marks of good liturgy is clang free well no that takes it. advantage of, of all the senses your sight mm -hmm. your taste this touch and sound mm -hmm. and as you hear that uh, clanging uh, as you do quite well um, <laughs> it adds to the the mystery of the of the, of, the, of, the, of the liturgy. Yeah, the, uh, and the incense. People, where does that incense come from? Uh, actually, it comes from Holy Rudgill in Spencer, Massachusetts. Well, it does now. That's Some yes, does. When I came to the diocese, hmm. they had used something that uh, you had gotten at a flea market in Chihuahua, and I had said, "Let's use Chickasaw Falls." Chickasaw Falls. Let's use something liturgical. With some suspect additives to the, that incense. Well, they have a lavender. 
mist, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's and salted caramel as well. <laughs> they use pumpkin spice. Um, no, no, let's not go there. Yeah, but no, the incense is, is, comes from very different sources, but it's, we use uh, the incense from Holy Root Gill. Which because is, that's what you like, and, yeah. and I think they're a sponsor. Uh, they, are the sponsor. they are now. Mary Richards is telling us. They? Yeah. And our friends at Beggar. <laughs> they are part friends, but uh, they are sponsors. Um, what about then, okay, the, the, the procession, sometimes you're in places, parishes where uh, it's just the priests and some servers, it might be the deacon. Other times it's um, Aunt Edna uh, just wanders in and she's in the procession and uh, sometimes the procession goes, goes on and on. Um, was there a time in the church when various uh, individuals, people more were in the procession? How was that? Was that a development? Is that depends on the... The, the church construction, the whims of the pastor. Any theological ideas on that, Father Kirst? I know that. Well, I was saying, Father Me was shaking his head like you knew the answer to this because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, two things. Yes, there were processions for the laity, but those would usually process through town. So um, when Gregory the Great was pope in the sixth century, there was a plague in Rome, so he had the uh, the populace begin a procession from seven different basilicas leading to some other basilicas. And there would be psalms uh, recited and penitential prayers along the way. But once you entered the church, then it's where the priests would gather, and then it'd be um, the from the sacristy to the altar would be the priest processing. And, of course, at that time, there was no music. No instruments were allowed in the church. Mm. Um, and as a matter of fact, the music that was allowed had to always be um, that which was directed by the Holy Spirit uh, himself, and as far as it had to be uh, from Scripture. And there were some few exceptions to that, but uh, when you hear the Ece Sacerdos, Here Comes Priest, that was one of the processionals leading into the church. And it seems that uh, with these processions that we use often in the, in the Mass, that there's a biblical point of contact things like I will go up to the altar of God and so forth. But uh, all processions seems to me are really to be symbolic of how we view our life, that we're on a journey toward the kingdom of heaven. And so our processions during the mass are symbolic of that, that we are on a journey. We're moving somewhere and we're directing our movement toward the altar at the beginning of mass and then at the communion, right? And then the movement away to to bring that out to the world at the end of mass. Yeah, I really like that. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Father Me, but you and I were at a a church uh, that will remain nameless in another diocese for an event. And um, it was a church that was in the round with the altar in the center. And uh, and I couldn't, I was, uh, I, I leaned over to you and I said, w why am I having difficulty with this uh, design? And you said, because we're not going anywhere. We were all um, facing each other. And, and I think that's an important image of the, of the pilgrim church here on earth, that we are going somewhere, we have a destiny, and, and that's reflected in the procession. What about when the uh, you go to the, the the priest arrives? He reverences, kisses the altar. When did was that introduced into the mass? Uh, sometimes people, you know, if they're not looking at what's happening, they may miss that. But uh, that is a significant uh, part of this introductory, right? Or when the priest comes up, wh where did that have its uh, development? Well, in early Rome or the Roman Church, um, the beginning of the mass was actually kind of a kiss fest. <laughs> oh, we should get back to that. <laughs> the bishop would come in, he'd come in and he'd kiss the con celebrants, he'd kiss the crucifix, he'd mm -hmm. kiss the, the, uh, 
the scripture, he would kiss the altar. Well, they got away from that, yeah. fortunately. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> was that very Italian? Because I know the Germans didn't like the German, it. Would, <laughs> the Germans would slap each other. When they, well, <laughs> so uh, they simplified that down to the altar. But then in time, that took on different meanings. Um, first, it was just kissing the altar where the sac- sacrifice would take place. But then in time, as it became accustomed to put um, some relic of one of the saints in the altar, then it was seen as kissing that relic, and kissing that relic of the saint uh, reminded of the whole communion of saints uh, who are gathered to celebrate this Eucharist as well. So it's a union with the church on earth and the uh, church in heaven. Then you have Innocent III, who was um, saying, well, when the the bishop kisses the altar, it's the representation of Christ kissing his spouse, the church. So it took on many, you know, symbolic meanings as well. And of course, the altar is um, a symbol of Christ as well, so it's kissing Christ. And then we move into the, uh, to the penitential, right, which we spoke about uh, briefly at the beginning, the options that are available. In the, some of you may notice that in the Easter season, uh, there is the sprinkling rite that is part of that, where the priest will go down the, the aisles of the church sprinkling uh, water that was blessed many times at the, um, at the Easter vigil. Do any of the, you do that uh, uh, in your churches? We do it throughout the Easter yeah. season, every, every Sunday Mass. So. Mm-hmm. Who uses a bush or a brand? I used to do that in Brewster. I loved it. You could douse Huge. people. Yeah. <laughs> what about I, I sometimes has I wonder if it's ever those things can get a little slippery and fly out. I think uh and things happen. Dink Jenkins mm. had his dentures knocked out uh, <laughs> at uh, Our Lady Dink of Jenkins. Uh, Our Lady of Prom Secor, uh, up there and uh, And then he had to go to Mother of Sorrows. Yeah, Whispering Pines. Um, but uh, do you do you um the Father Me doesn't do the sprinkling right. Oh, I do for um, with your electric scooter. Up I, I do it for <laughs> Easter and Quasimodo Sunday. Okay, oh, Quasimodo yeah. body shaming. We just got a radio. Father Connell, do you? Do yeah, we. Uh, yeah, I, we do all during the Easter season, and I think it's you know it's uh, uh, it's something interesting that the, the kids kind of look forward to. You know, they they're and they're wanting to actually get you know sprinkle. They want to get. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we do it all throughout, and I think it's a. Wonderful ceremony. Yeah. What uh, the um, now? Our listening audience would know that during Lent we did not sing the Gloria, but now we are uh, singing that. And um, the the Gloria at the cathedral was was uh, as uh, again we'd have to do a shout out for the to the music there. Henry Bauer. Yeah. My vast singing ability um, uh, is always. Second, memorable, so, memorable, yes, memorable. <laughs> like memorable. Singing. I don't remember you singing. <laughs> His father Potler is my singing coach. Uh, he's a very gifted man. Um, a special thanks to the prayers that uh, the generosity of our people uh, during this uh, Easter season, Easter Sunday, in our diocese. But also, I would hope that um, the prayers that we offer during this season will continue, and most especially for hope and unity and peace and joy for our our families, our church, our nation, and above all, our world. So we uh, thank you, and we will continue this series on the Mass. And any concerns or questions or complaints you may have, direct them towards Father Connell. Um, <laughs> he is the secretary to the uh, executive producer, Mary Richards, and Gina Vanelli, who is associate producer. God bless, and uh, let the Easter season bring you much joy. Amen. Amen.